Hey everyone, Gene here. Before we get into the episode proper, I would like to apologize for the lateness of the episode, and the fact that you haven't had a Quantum Cast either in a while. Uh, you see, my personal life has gotten a little more complex now that my wife has a job, and because of when she has to work, I have to watch our daughter. Now, I happen to be recording this when our daughter is at Girl Scouts, so I am home alone, and I get to do this. But, it means that I don't have a huge amount of editing time to do with podcasts, so I'm afraid you're just going to have to bear with us, and you'll get the episodes as we can get them out to you. So, unfortunately, we're not going to be sticking to our monthly schedule, but we will get episodes out as soon as we possibly can. So, with that said, on with the show! Welcome to Comic Book Fight Club. The Surgeon General has determined that the following show has no socially redeeming value and preliminary test results on a control group of fanboys has indicated that it may be carcinogenic. Please be advised that this podcast will use prolific amounts of saucy language and thoroughly unpolitically correct imagery. Despite appearances to the contrary, the participants of this roundtable are not completely horrible, horrible human beings. They simply have no filters. Regardless, it is not recommended that you listen to this podcast if you are pregnant, nursing, intend to become pregnant, vegan, have a history of mental disorder, heart disease, diabetes, or think Twilight might be cool. I mean, really, an apex predator that sparkles in direct sunlight? Give me a break. And on a final note, fuck Batman. Let's get ready to And welcome to your favorite show that you can't tell anyone else about, Comic Book Fight Club. I am one of your hosts, Gene Hendricks, and with me as always is my good buddy, Mr. Jeff Fishman. How are you, sir? Ba weep grana weep ninny bong. And off Berman Air John Goody. Uh, and with us we have some of the podcasting elite, or at least as elite as we could get on eight hours notice. <laughs> Starting off, we have Mr. Hair Metal Hero himself, Chris Tyler. Hey, I speak some TV too, man. Woo-hoo. <laughs> uh, and we have newcomer to the show. Um, don't ask how we managed to blackmail him on here, but Mr. Ryan Daly. And now the news. Don't touch that dial. There you go. Oh, we're doing the lines one by one. That's <laughs> awesome. It's like we've seen that movie. Uh, Just a few times. And rounding out our table tonight would be Mr. Movie Writer Extraordinaire, Sean Strain. I have no idea what's going on. You're fucking this up, Sean. (laughs) That's that's fine. We let you out of jail. We put you on parole, and you fuck it up. That's right. For those of you that haven't watched or listened to, rather, previous episodes, Sean was a naughty boy. And was put in the penalty box for a couple of episodes, but now he's back. Um, before we jump into uh, first bouts or anything else, uh, Hero, where can we uh, find you or listen to your dulcet tones elsewhere? I'm usually hanging out outside of the Curves on Santa Street. <laughs> I, I mean, the McDonald's on Washington Street, sorry. Uh, no, I'm on the Vault of Stadling Mastahara Tales of Terra, and I'm all over the Facebook, and I pop up on a bunch of TTF crap. Like this. <laughs> yeah, right. Emphasis this is high-quality crap. crap. <laughs> What's the highest of quality crap? Absolutely. Ryan, how about you? Where can we hear from you? I've got a number of podcasts. Uh, the most 
prevalent one right now is the Secret Origins podcast, which covers issue by issue the DC comic series Secret Origins from the 80s. I've also got a Star Wars-centric podcast called Dead Boffin Spies, and a third podcast, which is topical for this discussion, which is a Black Canary podcast called Flowers and Fishnets. Aw, so sweet. And, Sean, how about you? Where are you besides um, at the Powers residence? <laughs> I am uh, off-world at the moment. <laughs> are you at Uranus? <laughs> we no, have to get one Uranus joke in. Might as well get it out of the way. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we get right into it then? Uh, this is going to be a, we hope, quicker episode than normal, but you never know with this crew. Now, our first bout is going to be a couple singers, actually. Uh, it's going to be Black Canary versus the X-Man Dazzler. So. Excellent. Uh, why don't I go first with the Dazzler introduction? This is being taken from the Marvel superheroes role-playing game, which was a lot Oh, you mean of you didn't fucking write it out first? Aren't you embarrassed <laughs> that you're reading copy? I, um... I uh, plead the fifth on that. Actually, no, I was assigned this at the last minute because another uh, guest had to cancel. Right. Um, so Alison Blair is a singer and an adventurer. She is an X-Man. Her primary power, however, Bruce, Bruce comes Cannon. from energy conversion. Uh, she can take sound, absorb the sound energy, and redistribute it as light. The neat thing about this is the more powerful or abundant the sound source the more powerful the light uh, manifestation will be. So she can do anything from light emissions, uh, hypnotic lights, light shows, so on and so forth, but she can also do lasers, force fields, and even can propel herself through the air by projecting light backwards and creating a rocket effect. You know, being a former physics major, I'm not exactly sure how that works, but apparently that's what she can do. Again, the thing to really stress here is the more powerful the light, or excuse me, the sound source is, uh, you know, to, uh, a humming, uh, a humming sound versus a rocket sound, the more powerful the light will be. Um, she is a trained fighter, certainly not on Black Canary's level, and she does have magnetic roller skates that hook to her disco boots. So that's how she can get around town very quickly. Were those invented by Tony Stark by any chance? I don't know. <laughs> now, I don't know. Well, let's assume so. When you describe Dazzler as an X-Man, did you mean she's part of the X-Men or she's transsexual? I already made a Bruce Jenner joke. <laughs> no one listens to me. Uh, yeah, we usually oh, turn off someone, your mic. Someone speaking? <clears throat> so, yeah, so she uh, maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. She hasn't Can't appeared tell. in the comics in a while, so we can't tell. <laughs> I think she used to be long shot. That's what I think. That's what I seem to remember happening. She used to be long shot, and then she goes away to a quote unquote spa for a month, comes back as Dazzler. <laughs> I mean, I, I could be wrong. You know. Uh, now I know where the extra fingers came from. Okay. Yeah, now I, now I want to fuck long shot. <laughs> That's right. Oy vey. Uh, All right, tell us about Black Canary. 
All right. Black Canary is a superheroine from the DC Comics universe, created in 1947 by writer Robert Kaniger and artist Carmine Infantino. The heroic alter ego of Dinah Drake, she originated in the Johnny Thunder strip from Flash Comics number 86 as a sort of femme fatale Robin Hood stealing from criminals. Uh, within a couple months, demand for Black Canary was so strong that she ousted Johnny Thunder out of his own comic strip and his place in All-Star Comics. Throughout, throughout her nearly 70 years of publication, Black Canary has been a member of the Justice League of America, the Justice Society of America, Birds of Prey, and for some inexplicable reason in the New 52, the Special Forces Squad Team 7. Black Canary's superpower is a sonic scream known as her Canary Cry, which generates devastating concussive blasts capable of shattering glass, punching through solid rock, and even incapacitating Superman for a short time. Beyond this power, however, Dinah has mastered several forms of martial arts and is considered one of the greatest hand-to-hand combatants in the DC Universe. And because she's a woman, she's always been romantically linked to other characters in the comics. Her lovers include Green Arrow, Batman, Starman, The Ray, and Larry Lance, a punk-ass private investigator who died saving her back in the 60s. So she has herpes. Yeah. And her (laughs) preferred method of travel is a motorcycle. Of course. Does she hang out with Karen Page a lot? Uh, I'll put you this way. Knowing what I know of her old origin, Karen Page looks absolutely sane next to her. Ah. (laughs) And that, of course, for those of you that don't get the back uh, reference, is a reference back to the first episode of Comic Book Fight Club. And that would be an editor's box for those of you in the comics industry. It tells people where to go for information. We like them. I like them. Uh, all right, who wants to go first? Okay, I'll go first. Good. <laughs> One, two, three, not it. Well, here's the way I see it. They're probably going to start out fighting. You're going to have Black Canary smacking the hell out of Dazzler. And then they start making out. I'm with you. Have you been reading my notes? That's where I was going to. <laughs> Your fanfic? <laughs> it's only 200 chapters. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Uh, but eventually Dazzler's going to realize, hey, this in-close stuff isn't working. Let me try my my mutant power. Black Canary's going to see what's going on. She's going to try her Canary Cry. Dazzler wins. That's it? Uh, as soon as Black Canary unleashes the Canary Cry, Dazzler has a supercharged laser to smack her opponent with. Oh, jeez, that's a good point. Yeah, so basically done. it's going to result with both of their clothes being shredded. Exactly. It's going to have this huge explosion... And then they're going to have to huddle together for warmth, and... Wait, that's the wrong page. Well, I, shit, I know exactly where I'm going. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a pick em and lick em. It doesn't yeah, matter. It's the comics code, so, you know, the comics code would have still been in effect, and uh, the, the clothes would have been shredded, but there would be one strap across the upper body and another strap across the uh, the lower body, and okay, it would be as just long like as the they were last wearing panel... a panel. As long as the last panel on the page is a gun in a holster. I'm good. <laughs> uh, I um you know, I'm just gonna go second. I totally agree with what Gene says about the kissing and the cuddling, but as far as the fight's concerned, if Black Canary can keep it a close quarters fight and uh, knock her out right away, yeah, she's totally got it as far as the fight is concerned. But you figure Dazzler Nowhere near the tactician or the fight of the Black Canary is, 
she is still going to go with her strengths, which is I'm going to use my roller skates. I'm going to keep it a distance and I'm going to shoot lasers at her from a distance because that's what she does in the comics. And if that doesn't take her out, um, as soon as Black Canary lets go with the Canary Cry, then it's going to be a, uh, uh, a, a, a Goku-esque Caillou Ken and uh, she's just going to blow her off the map. So that's 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 what's going to happen. I, I think it's got to be a Dazzler, uh, unless of course Black Canary sneaks up, knocks her out right away. She's she's done for. Well, here's my logic: Has Black Canary ever been in an arcade game? Not to my knowledge. Dazzler was in the X Men arcade game. That's all I need which to you, know. Which you can download on your Xbox 360. I have it. Yeah, I had awesome. it too. I had it too. Welcome so to die. But uh, no, if you're, if you're in a video game and they've clearly thought enough about you to put you alongside Colossus and Wolverine and Cyclops and Storm and Nightcrawler, that means you're a badass. No, they just had to get their money's worth because she was originally developed to be a movie star that just fell through. Yeah, but I, that, that, stop mucking this up with facts. <laughs> we don't trade in facts here. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, that being said, Black Canary has a better costume. So I'm sorry for the fishnets, baby. Fishnets, all about them. Fish. I would ah. choose the fishnets over the bell bottoms. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You don't like jazzercise canary? Um, <laughs> I would rather watch a Richard Simmons video. <laughs> would you rather Richard Simmons? <laughs> yes. Stop right there. That's it. All three, Richard Simmons. He's to the video game point. Black Canary was in uh, Lego Batman 2. That is not an arcade game. Okay. Denied. Well, no, no. Are you saying there was a Lego Batman 2 video game that Black Canary was in? Yeah, for uh, PS3 and uh, Xbox, I guess. Yeah, she she was one of, like, what, 60 unlockable characters or however many it was. Was she a playable character? Yes. (laughs) She's also going to be in, like, two different TV shows this year. She was also in Justice League Heroes for the PSP. Well, she can be in as many TV shows as she wants, but uh, she's going to get zapped by the dazzle. <laughs> she's going to get razzle-dazzled, is that what you're she's saying? She's going to get razzle-dazzled. All right, so, Hero, you're voting for Dazzler again? Um, Yeah, i got to go with Dazzle. Okay, Ryan, do you want to give us a counterpoint? Well, I think this is a tough match because Dazzler is sort of counter-programmed because if... If Black Canary uses her go-to Sonic Scream, that power is immediately turned back against her. Um, I would hope that she would be smart enough and just not use that power. And if she just turned it into a street fight, a hand-to-hand combat, Black Canary wipes the floor with her. She's one of the top ten best fighters in the DC universe. So I agree I, with that. I would yep. give her, I would give her the edge in that, and because I'm a fan, I've got to say. Uh, hopefully giving her the benefit of the doubt, she would know not to use that power, um, not to use her superpower, and just approach it, just kick the crap out of it. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's not a landslide for me either. It's a 51 to 49, you know? I I totally agree. I I totally agree. Narrow, narrowly does Dazzler win. But is Black Canary known for doing research on the uh, combatants ahead of time, or is she more of a... uh, I know I got everything handled. I'm just going to go in there and do it. 
Oh, no, she's much more the latter. She's much more intuitive, just going to go in there, rock and roll, figure out what's going on. So it's it's entirely possible that she would like be lured into and using her sonic scream and then have that redirected right back at her. However, that's that wouldn't be her first go-to action. She might start off just kicking and punching, and that honestly ought to be enough to beat up Dazzler and knock her down. Oh, like, totally. That fight, that fight shouldn't resort to using superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, Dazzle does have the skates, though, right? Yeah, <laughs> she does have the gonna... roller skates. I think that's I think that's what turns the tide. I think that's what gives her the extra one percent in this battle. Yeah, she's gonna be able to man- maneuver. Right. I mean, you might laugh at the roller skates, but uh, you know what? You see that they came in handy this time. Uh, when I picture these uh, fight clubs, I I picture it like your uh, the combatants are just being ported in to whatever zone it is like a video game where they spawn and they're 50 feet away, a hundred feet away from each other. And, and you know, for some reason, disemb- one hand has a highlight thing on it. Right. <laughs> and a disembodied voice goes fight. <laughs> hmm. All right. I, I was under the impression that this was a battle of the bands, uh, fight and, uh, black Canary's pop music, uh, rock group, uh, super chicks kicks the hell out of anything disco. So, Okay, so wait, on musical Wait, they're called talent, the Super Chicks? Yeah, uh, it's, it's like a pop rock trio. Oh, good lord. No, her new, but the band is called, actually, Black Canary. It's not, it's whatever. Um, but yeah, she dresses like Lady Gaga, and they like play like rock music, so. Okay, then definitely she loses. <laughs> Frank, Frank, Frank Miller called the band Super Chicks. Oh, that was in the other one? No. Uh, but uh, quite frankly, pop rock destroys disco, so. Uh, depends. <laughs> that, that's another toss-up, I would think. Depends on the disco. Depends on the pop rock. <laughs> All right. So. Okay, so uh, let's talk about a fight, Sean. You uh, you commented on the battle of the bands, but this is comic book fight club. If they're going to fight, who do you think wins? Uh, just because um, Black Canary is like a like a regular person, and Dazzler has mutant powers. You gotta go with Dazzler. Okay. He's not the best column right. man in the business for nothing. And we did post <laughs> these matchups to Facebook and Twitter, etc., etc., and th- opinions seem to be fairly evenly split from what I can see. So we're we're going to call it on our count of 4-1 to one for Dazzler. And as a little reward for listening this far, why don't you guys go and Google Savage Land Dazzler and make sure you don't do it when you're at work. Oh. Doing it right now. Doing it right now. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let's take a break so I can find a tissue. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you back after the break. <laughs> Dinah Lance is a fighter, and her one-woman war is against the czars of crime, the frightened men who dread the blonde bombshell, otherwise known as Black Canary. Writer Robert Kaniger and artist Carmine Infantino created Black Canary in 1947. She debuted as a masked femme fatale that kind of skirted the law, but pretty quickly she evolved into a civic-minded crime fighter. She has mastered multiple martial arts disciplines and unarmed combat forms. Her canary cry, when properly focused, is powerful enough to punch a hole through a wall. Black Canary has, in one form or another, been part of multiple incarnations of the Justice League, the Justice Society, and Birds of Prey. I freaking fell in love with Black Canary, and I'm proud to podcast about her adventures in comics and television. Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast.
And welcome back. We hope you found that break satisfying. We sure did. It's terrible. Go ahead. <laughs> Our next matchup will be the Victory Class Star Destroyer versus the Enterprise E. So I'll kick us off with the Enterprise. USS Enterprise NCC-1701E is a 24th century Sovereign Class Starship. She is 685 meters long and has 29 decks, equipped with 12 phaser arrays and 10 torpedo tubes. That's a lot of decks. Yes, it is. Deck, 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 deck. <laughs> I'm not cutting in another song, all right? <laughs> no, was a, no, uh, that was a reference. Sean got it. Maybe. He's dead. <laughs> oh, I said, how many decks was that? I got it. A lot of decks. That's a lot. Uh, the Enterprise carries 15 of a newer design shuttlecraft, as well as numerous other forms of transportation, including the warp-capable captain's yacht, the Cousteau, which I'm sure you really care about the name, Did. and five multi-purpose shuttlecraft. The auxiliary craft are launched from two shuttle bays, one at the aft end of the secondary hull and one near the aft end of the primary hull. This Enterprise was built specifically to fight the Borg. As such, it is equipped Sounds with... Swedish. Yes. As such, it is equipped with both photon and quantum torpedoes, as well as more advanced phasers and shielding systems. She carries a crew of 750, 92 of which are officers, and has four regular transporter rooms with four emergency transporter rooms. And I think that's all you need to know for this particular fight. So why don't we move on to the Star Destroyer. Sure. The Star Destroyer is a uh, victory class. It's 900 meters long. Uh, how many ships did you say the Enterprise could launch? How many uh, pods? Uh, 15 of uh, regular shuttlecraft and 5 special shuttlecraft. So okay. 20 total. 20 total. Um, so this particular uh, class of Star Destroyer carries two TIE Fighter squadrons. Typically it's TIE Fighter squad- squadron is 12 ships, so you'll get 24 TIE fighters against uh, 20 not-so-much fighters <laughs> from from the Enterprise. Uh, aside from that, uh, there's 80 concussion missile tubes. Um, the, uh, the ship has uh, assault concussion missile tubes, which are uh, another 20 of those. They carry four missiles each. Uh, heavy double... Turbo laser cannons. There's 20 of those on board. Um, pretty much, it's a it's a warship designed for uh, planetary defense, planetary assault, ground troop support, and ship to ship combat. Uh, not really much of a beginning to do. You can't really go against it. All right, I think that's all the information we need. Who would like to tackle this one first? Who is commanding the Star Destroyer? Well, it was uh, the ship was used during the. Uh, Rise of the Empire. Um, I mean, there's, 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 there's several of them. There's nobody. I mean, uh, Imperial Imperial soldiers are man. All right, so a dickhead in a gray jacket. All right, gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Probably has a British accent. Most <laughs> like. Yeah. All right. And we didn't talk about shield capabilities. What kind of shielding? Yeah. What kind of defensive posture? Come on, you guys are laying down on the job here. I'm not. <laughs> All I said has advanced shield systems on the Enterprise. What about the what about the Star Destroyer? 
um, 3,200 SBDs, which was a common unit of measurement for uh, deflector fuel power. Suck big dick is the common <laughs> unit of measurement on a Stata Destroyer? Apparently. Well, I mean, Jesus. they are British. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're using, listen, they're using the royal measurement system. Like, a thumb was actually the size of a thumb. You know, a foot was the size of the king's foot. This was the, the whatever the reigning um, uh, king's dick's length is uh, is probably what was going on there. The That's emperor didn't have one. He got electrocuted, and Veda got burnt. There's no dicks. <laughs> I beg to differ. I think the emperor was a huge dick. <laughs> he was. It's You know, it's one of those things that's like... Yeah, pure muscle power. The Star Destroyer is going to just be like... But we saw how well things went for the Empire in the Star Wars movies, right? I mean, an A-Wing crashed into a bridge and it took down a Super Star Destroyer. Um, It's the Enterprise, man. It's the Federation. They're smart and shit. Yeah, but see... Okay, so there's two different things here. One, the Star Destroyer's weapons are laser-based and the deflector shields on the Enterprise, you know, will stop a laser. You don't even have to put up the actual defensive shields. Um, however, that might just be, you know, nomenclature. They might be calling them lasers when they're really something else, you know, like we call a photocopy, a Xerox, or a, a tissue, a Kleenex. Uh, so maybe that's just like the brand name of the weapon. <laughs> I think, no, seriously, I mean, because... I mean, that was the art in my local comic book shop. There was a whole big argument about this. And, you know, one some, you know, troll smart ass was getting all pissed. You know, lasers, they're all lasers and lasers. I'm like, yeah, but they may be calling it a laser, but it's probably something altogether different. They're just using the word laser because it's an easy word to say. Here's what I think is I think the Enterprise is an exploration ship. And not necessarily built for warfare, although they've got a lot of weapons associated with it. Whereas the Star Destroyer, it is its total purpose in life is to destroy. It's a, it's a warship. It's a warship. Now, if we did Star Destroyer versus Defiant, then we might be talking about something here. But the Enterprise, I don't think the Enterprise can keep up. It was designed to fight the Borg, though. You have to take that into account. I don't know. And for those of you that are unsure, this is the Enterprise that was that first appeared in First Contact, and that in that movie you could see it basically blasting the hell out of a Borg cube. So, you know, I'm I'm more willing to put it on a. It, yes, it is an exploration vessel. Yes, it does not primarily serve as a warship, but I think it's a it's a cut above like the the Enterprise D. Everything's which, a cut above the Enterprise D. <laughs> Well, the Enterprise view was fine as long as you didn't let the woman fly the ship. <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> or have families on it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You're going to bring your families into the unknown. I mean, this isn't the Oregon Trail here, you know. Leave your wife and kids at home and, and, and go out into the universe alone. They had the fucking Baba, though, the blue Baba. That was, it was right. Several times he showed up. It's like, why are you wasting screen time on this schmuck? <laughs> because Picard needs his haircut. That's right. You want to sell toys. Oh, uh. Did anybody buy a Guinan figure? Seriously? 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, when you're talking about an enterprise that's designed to defeat the Borg, I mean, why don't you just ask Cisco's wife how well that went? That's cold, man. Well, they didn't have the the defiant then either, did they? No, they didn't. <laughs> I'm just saying that the Star Destroyer is a warship built specifically for that purpose, and it's far more weapon systems on board, plus an entire fleet of um, support ships it can launch to uh, to help out. So yeah, it has although, four more. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, listen, how how often, if ever? Does the Enterprise launch a shuttlecraft to help in a fight? It doesn't because, because it has been shown to just fly past fighters and destroy them without batting an eye. You're equipped with a bunch of escape pods. You're an escape pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Enterprise is a is a is a designed to run away. Oh. Only only oh. The Enterprise D under Picard. Yes, I will give you that. Angry, pissed off, fighting the Borg, Picard. On the E, disobeying orders, Picard from the next movie. Yeah, but wait a second. Can can the saucer section separate? Yes, it from... can. Oh, it can it yeah. can? Yep. All right, that makes it even worse. <laughs> so fucking stupid. Well, that was a great idea. How many times did we actually do that in the entire series? Stock footage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Twice think... to my memory, but with the same footage both times. Uh, it was more than that, but yes, it was the same footage every time. But in in this case, I think what it comes down to is maneuverability. And yeah. the, the Enterprise is a hell of a lot more maneuverable than a Star Destroyer. And if you notice, most of the Star Destroyer's armament is pointed forward. So if the Enterprise gets behind it, and, then, and, and we know those things cannot turn worth a damn because they were coming. You had two coming at each other. They were coming. Yeah. Oh, crap, we're going to crash. Can't turn. Yeah. <laughs> We're still going to crash. Still not turning. And they crash. About, you're talking about Imperial class Star Destroyer. The Victory class is not, is, is only 900 meters. It's half the size of the Imperial crap. And older. And, oh, getting technical. And, it, it's half the size. Right. And it's it was, older. <laughs> so it's less maneuverable. No, it's more maneuverable. It was designed for, uh, especially in... in um, in, in atmosphere, it, can, it's, it's, it was designed for uh, planetary attacks and, and... Precisely, you have a spacecraft designed to go into the atmosphere versus one that's designed to stay out of the atmosphere. So, in other words, the Star Destroyer is going to run and hide in atmosphere? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying they don't have to run and hide. They'll just send it on a fleet of star, uh, TIE fighters to blow up the Enterprise. Oh, the, yes, the TIE fighters shit, with no shields. That the, the phaser will just go... Dead, 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 dead. Yep. Yep. It'll be like... Beep, 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 24 beep, TIE Fighters against the Enterprise? I'm taking the TIE Fighters. 24 TIE Fighters couldn't take out an X-Wing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because it was the Fighting 501st fly- flying. <laughs> Ryan, you've been awfully quiet here. <laughs> oh, I fell asleep. No, I'm good. Um, <laughs> no, I think if you're... If you're just looking at the technical specs of the Star Destroyer versus the Enterprise, if you're just comparing the two ships in a vacuum, 
like the vacuum of space. I see uh, what you did uh, there. Uh, yeah. Then, then I think the edge clearly goes to the Star Destroyer in terms of armaments, in terms of what it can launch. The Tie Fighter complement the the lasers, just the destructive power. The Star Destroyer, I think, is at the obvious advantage. It's designed to destroy other ships, but I think that you lose what's fun about this, and I think you have to look at the ships with their crew complements. And whatever version of Trek you're looking at, I think the, the, the crew of the Enterprise is clever, it's resourceful, it's creative, and none of those things describe the crew of an average star. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, don't, they don't even know when a ship is parked on the back of their bridge. Oh, <laughs> sick fact, bird. Fact, in terms of maneuverability, just have the Enterprise park behind the, the radar dish of the Star Destroyer and just like let them dump their trash and they'll never see it coming. So, yeah, I think if they were in a battle with an actual crude Enterprise, like Picard or whoever is running it, he would find a way of tricking them into flying into a black hole and just destroying their own ship. Um, so I, much as I prefer the, the Star Destroyer, I would give the winner would be the Enterprise. If we're talking about them with their typical crew and not just the technical specs of the ship. So, okay. I mean, I don't want to try and talk this into my way of thinking about things, but I'm going to. You know, we always try to stay away from the Batman principle, which is um, just on a what is and and this is difficult because we're talking about a piece of equipment versus a uh, uh, an actual character. So, you know. What would this person do? What would that uh, that guy do in a fight? And how would they use their powers? And blah 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 blah. Also, you got to understand that in the Star Wars movies, the crew of the Star Destroyer were the bad guys, so they have to lose. Versus in the Star uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, it's all about the crew. It is a ensemble cast and a and a um, character based show. And the Enterprise is just a piece of equipment that is part of that show. So, of course, you're going to have the best and the brightest and the most um, likable people on that ship. So it's kind of hard to compare that apples to apples because you might have, you know, um, Empire, the next generation, where you've got, you know, the, 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 the spunky uh, Captain Janeway of a, of a pilot and... Okay, um, no. You know, you might have uh, the Galaxy Quest crew running a Star Destroyer and they're just as likable and just as clever and what have you. And they have this piece of equipment at their disposal. So the way I'm looking at it is if we stack up the two ships and if we had clones of whatever crew operating both. You have generic Starfleet crew. You have generic Imperial crew. Fair enough. Fair enough. Who would win? And... Despite the well, they're lasers, and we we can't a laser won't penetrate the deflector shield, let alone the actual defensive shield argument. The Star Destroyer is designed as a warship. The Enterprise, formidable, is designed as an exploration ship, and just does not have the defensive capabilities nor the offensive capabilities that a Star Destroyer would have. If that's the standard that we're using, just generic like Imperial no-name officers versus a crew of red shirts, then I would agree. It's, no, then it's, it's all Star Destroyer. Well, it's, not, it's not a crew of red shirts. It's a crew of generic Starfleet officers. 
Okay. Now, and again... They all look like red shirts to me. I don't know. <laughs> That's true. Says the man so, with the Star Wars podcast. If somebody has a strong opinion to the contrary on the parameters of the battle, certainly we want to hear that. Well, I mean, anyone but you. Yeah. No. <laughs> all right. All right let's, big Hero let's, 600. I'm not that big. <laughs> uh. All right. If, if it's for the sake of argument, if it is the Enterprise-E crewed by the regular crew, they're going to end up somehow trying to talk to this Star Destroyer. They're going to get shot at a few times. Data's going to do something. It's going to load whatever shields they have. And then the Enterprise is going to beam like all the security guys and Worf over to the bridge of that ship and be like, you know, you're under arrest. Because that's how a Trek episode usually goes. Does Wesley do anything? Like, does he have a science project going in uh, one of the engineering bays? Right. He's the one. We... He he has the brilliant idea to tell Data to do something, and then Data does it. <laughs> and Wesley, they take a the very life. complex, made-up scientific principle, and then they dumb it down and explain it in to a child. Like, oh, it's like putting too much air in a balloon. Yeah, and then Jody falls in love with the, the only female member on the on the Star Destroyer. So, so, you're, saying, oh. so you're saying like a landing party of what four or five people are going to board the starship? No. no. On this, on the Enterprise E, they had like their SWAT crews ready for the board. Man, you go over there and they got them them phaser rifles. You know, they're all set. They're gonna be all like, "We got this." The SWAT crews and their family, and their family, and the fucking Baba. The Bob is packing. <laughs> In fact, the the barber is cannon fodder. They send him over first. Let the stormtroopers. No, they send Guinan over first. <laughs> all right, so. Any other things that we need to think about in this conversation, or do we want to cast our final votes? Gene, how many how many crew does the Enterprise hold? That Enterprise had 750 crew. This Star Destroyer has uh, over 5,000 crew plus gunners. Damn! <sighs> That's kind of packed tight, isn't it? <laughs> well, how, how big is the Star Destroyer again? It's 900, 900 meters long. That's a lot and, of dudes. And how long is... That's a lot of dicks. Yeah. Um, how long is the Enterprise? 685 meters. It's close. Yeah, they're, about, so, the, they're about the same size. The, the, min, the minimum crew that we carry would be 1,700. 1,785, to be exact. Yeah, but yeah. it's like, it's like Spaceballs. They got like a barista over there and shit. <laughs> Everybody on the Guy Enterprise, with a kettle drum. Yeah, it's like, yeah, there's a guy playing the timpanis over there. It's like... The full crew for the Star Destroyer is probably including like oh, like landing parties with like full stormtrooper complements, uh, Tie Fighter pilots. That's that five thousand is including a lot of people who don't really serve a function on the ship necessarily. Right. Agreed. But the Enterprise has everybody's fucking family. On it. So I mean, no, how that, many kids? That's, that seven hundred and fifty is just the crew. So there's another, call it 600 uh, women and, or excuse me, uh, spouses and children floating around that ship? Unless you consider that they're going into battle, in which case they offload them all. All right. For example, in First Contact, it has been confirmed that there were no families on the ship at that time because they knew they were going after the Borg. Understood. So the Star Destroyer is half as much larger than the Enterprise. If the Enterprise is 600 and some odd meters and the Star Destroyer is 900 and some odd meters, it's it's 50% larger ship designed for war 
with at least double uh, military personnel, but perhaps quintuple or more military personnel on there. Right. And a fleet of TIE fighters they can launch. And yeah, okay, you know, you know, uh, phaser blast, phaser blast, phaser blast. Well, you know what? Every time you're shooting at a TIE fighter, you're not shooting at the Star Destroyer. That's why you rig the captain's yacht with a quantum torpedo and send it right at the bridge. <laughs> Interesting. Because, mm. really, there's no other use for the damn thing. Actually, you <laughs> could just put one guy in there. he just go, ah! <laughs> nice. All right, so I think it's time to take final votes. Okay. Um, I vote. I want to vote for the Enterprise because I came into this thinking about the Enterprise, but after listening to Sean's description, I changed my mind. I'm voting for the Star Destroyer. All right. That's one for the Star Destroyer. Hero? Enterprise. Okay. Ryan? If we're just limiting it to the ships and generic crews, the Star Destroyer. Okay. Sean? Uh, my, my whole argument has been based on just the stats of the Destroyer. So by stats alone, the Destroyer wins. But I do have to add this. The Victory Class Star Destroyer in the Star Wars universe is just Clone Wars cartoon used. Like, it was never in a movie. Um, yeah, it, it originated in a... It actually originated in the Star Wars Battleship game. Okay. Where right. it stood in for the Destroyer in, uh, in the set. Uh, so, it was originated in a game? Yeah. So... Oh. Based, based on the based on so the idea, based on the idea that Star Trek is like is a movie and and the ship is real as opposed to a cartoon, <laughs> I mean it, it's like uh, uh, the Stand by Me argument: who would win in a battle between Superman and, and Mighty Mouse? And all the kids said Superman because he's a real guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in this, we're pretending that everything's on an even footing because all of the comic books that we've read, they're just comic books or cartoons. A lot of these folks haven't had a movie made about them. That's right. a good point. That's a good point. So, yeah. I'm going to go Star Destroyer. All right. And I am going Enterprise for the reasons I already stated. So we have a 3-2 to two in favor of the Star Destroyer. And again, all the people on Facebook that I've seen the replies for, they're pretty much evenly split as well. So we're going to have to give it to the Star Destroyer on this one. It's like, Xenomorphs! It's like, the, <laughs> it's like the people who are voting for the Enterprise don't understand math. <laughs> hey man, I work in finance. I understand math. Yeah. <laughs> When you when you go by the statistics, there's no possible way you can pick the Enterprise. You're just doing it because you're a fanboy. That's very true. Who's talking? Uh, you're quoting stuff that originated in a game. Now stop it. That's legal. <laughs> no, it's not. Listen, it's don't be, against don't Boba be, Fett. Well, it's very simple. If, if you're looking at if you're voting for the Star Destroyer, you're just showing standard two dimensional thinking. Oh. But why don't we take so, a break and we'll come back with our main well, event? Wait, wait, wait. By the transitive properties. By the transitive properties, if the Star Destroyer can beat the Enterprise and the Xenomorphs beat the 501st, then that means that the, the Xenomorphs would also beat Starfleet. Yes, they would. See? Yeah. It proves my argument. Go to break. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Trekker Talk a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. 
We'll be discussing the stories, characters, and art in this excellent retro sci-fi adventure series, as well as having side conversations about other areas of fandom. We hope you'll join us as we travel from the dangerous back streets of New Gallif to the depths of outer space and everywhere in between. Trekker Talk is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Welcome back. Now, before we get to our main event, because as you know, the main event is always the end of the show, we have a nice little uh, fun topic of conversation, and that is, what is the worst movie adaption of a comic? Uh, this could be any number of things, and I personally am going to have to limit it to the ones that I've seen, because things like Elektra or Catwoman, while I hear they're bad, I can't judge for myself. You know? I would agree with that, because I'd like to say the new Fantastic Four that came out, but I haven't seen it, so that's not fair. And the whole reason why I posited this to you guys was over the weekend, I happened to finally watch the newest version of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I, I felt I felt a little piece of my soul slipping away. It just it, it broke my heart, because it was a bad movie no matter what, and it mm-hmm. was an even worse adaptation off of that particular uh, uh, comic property. So uh, we got some feedback online, but I'm interested in hearing what you guys felt were the worst adaptations of a comic book. Electra and Catwoman are pretty fucking bad. Well, at yeah. least you're speaking from experience. Thank you for watching I, it. So I, I own them both. To. You what? I own them both. And I'm going to watch one after this in bed. <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, I was still all amped up after Daredevil. I like the Daredevil movie. I'm like, Electra might be good. That no. doesn't explain Catwoman. Catwoman was far worse. Electra well, was okay, and it would have been okay if they didn't call it Electra. Like, if it I, was just something else. Well, here's the thing with Catwoman. I rented it to see how bad it was. It was shit. I said, I need to expose this to other people, so I burnt a copy of it. <laughs> I mean, come you, on. You must share my pain. What my pain? Uh, I, need right, my I, need pain. To, I need to ask for a clarification on this. Yes. Are we thinking objectively as a bad movie? That's just a piece of crap film or the movie that we hated the most or that we responded emotionally the the worst or least to? I I would say so Jeff, I would make that distinction. Uh Jeff, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm what I'm thinking is the worst adaption of a property. So mm. to, to you to use the Catwoman example, uh that had absolutely no resemblance to the com- any comic book Catwoman to that point. So even if it was a fine movie, it was a bad was a- adaption. Uh, all right, so I would fine-tune this to say uh, priority number one is bad adaption, and then uh, what would throw something over the top, priority number two, would be it's a bad ad- adaption and a horrible movie. On top of it, like the uh, Captain America movie from, I think it was the late 80s, early 90s, where the Red Skull was Italian. Albert Pun directed 1990. That was terrible. I mean, poor execution, poor adaptation, and it was just a bad fucking movie. Bad, bad movie. 
So <sighs> where on that scale, like, would you rate something like Batman and Robin? Do you think that is a bad depiction of the Batman character, or a bad nope. adaptation of that? This is where I was going to go with that. That was, that's, that was, I said, I had a tie between Batman and Robin by Joel Schumacher and Superman Quest for Peace. I, I thought they were both equally terrible, but by you guys' standards, they're not comic adaptations. They're just character films. Like, there was never a Batman and Robin comic that Joel Schumacher based those that story on. Yeah, it's called the 60s, man. <laughs> okay, so when I say adaptation, I mean we're going to take a comic book character and put it on the screen and try to do it some justice. Obviously, Batman and Robin existed in the comic universe. If you put them on a screen and then tell a story with those two characters, are you getting close to the feel that you'd want? Now, Batman sucks to begin with. So um, I equate that Batman and Robin movie. It was a terrible movie, but there was some camp value to it. So if you place, in my mind, I placed it into the same category. I placed the Batman TV show from Mm -hmm. uh, the 60s, right? It was in the 60s it was on. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it was enjoyable of its own right because it was campy and, and, and terrible. But I don't think that was what was expected of that movie. They weren't trying to make it campy. It just turned out bad. No, they so were trying to make it campy. No, it was, but it was supposed to be a continuation of what Tim Burton had started. It was, a, even though it was a different actor in the Batman costume, it was supposed to be a continuation of Tim Burton's Batman. That's what so, I thought too. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. So in that end, it was terrible. Like it was, it just went so south. I would I, rather watch Batman and Robin five thousand times directly into my eyeballs, Ludovico style, than watch Dark Knight Rises ever again. Well, that's just bonkers. No, it's not. I will actually have fun watching Batman and Robin. I will have boredom watching Dark Knight Rises. In Dark Knight Rises, I didn't particularly care for. And 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 even Batman Begins. I mean, you got a train, and you're going to put a microwave oven on that train, and it's supposed to do what now? It's supposed to evaporate all the water, but the people standing right next to it that are 70% water, or whatever percentage fucking water you are, I'm going to get a little bit hot. I I have no problem with that because that's comic book logic. And that is totally something a supervillain would do in a comic. I don't know. I don't know but I, listen, we cut Ryan off. He's been very polite uh, or like, well, no, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort of understand the perimeter. So if the movie fails to capture the spirit of the character or the spirit of the comics, does that count as a bad adaptation? Yes. I would say yes. And then if it's a bad movie by all standards, that makes it even worse of a movie, wherein if it's a movie that is, you didn't capture the spirit of it, but the movie was okay, so if you just peeled off that comic identity and just said, hey, this is a character we made for this movie that's not attached to anything else, then it might be an accessible movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Now I'm just trying to think because, I mean, there are, Honestly, there are a lot of horrible comic book movies that I haven't seen because <laughs> I knew that they were going to be horrible, so I avoided them. Right, right. Um, but I'm thinking of, uh, to my mind, Man of Steel, which I don't think captured the spirit of Superman, at least not Stole the Superman my that I wanted to see. <laughs> now, now, I think that is a very flawed movie. I don't think it is a horrible movie. Uh, I have, I do have a lot of story and structure and character problems with that movie, but I think based on this criteria, 
I think Green Lantern would edge that out because I also don't think that is a good representative, good representation of who the character Green Lantern is. And it's also a much worse movie on a, a structural plot and character level. So I probably would say Green Lantern. Um, I, I hate Man of Steel more, but I think objectively Green Lantern is worse. So okay, interesting. You'll get no argument from me. Those both of those movies are pretty craptastic. And I, that's my 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 one defense for is kind of explaining Green Lantern a little bit more is I think the filmmakers the storytellers did not understand who the character of Hal Jordan was supposed to be. I think what probably happened was in some meeting with the studio executives, the writer said, "Okay, Hal Jordan is Maverick from Top Gun." <laughs> I think... what, he meant, what he meant was Maverick from the first half of Top Gun, the I feel the need, the need for speed Maverick. But what the producers thought was, okay, Maverick after Goose dies, who's just like crying naked in the shower and can't get it. <laughs> and that's what we're going to have Ryan Reynolds play for two hours. You, and you, that movie was awful and see, no fun to watch. You see, I thought it was just they said, oh, well, we cast Ryan Reynolds, so Hal Jordan is Ryan Reynolds. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what you're saying is Ryan Ryan Reynolds just got the ring, and it wasn't Hal Jordan, it was Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, except for a few scenes where you can see the, Hal Jordan peeking through. Yeah, he was basically Ryan Reynolds through the whole movie. Bill, so I agree. The guy with and, a modicum amount of charm and the kind of humor that you sort of laugh at at parties, and he just stumbled ass backwards into celebrity. Ryan Reynolds equals Hal Jordan in that sense. I can't, I can't hate Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he's a good actor. I don't know. Uh, I, I, he's been given some shit. Movies to be in. I didn't can't say, lose. I, I didn't say I didn't like him as an actor. I said they didn't do a good no, job. No, he's a shit Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan. I I haven't seen him do anything that would make me think he's a good actor. Now I haven't seen him do a whole lot, but clearly you never watched Fifteen when it was on Nickelodeon, the, one of the greatest Canadian melodramas ever. Uh, the, the remake of Straw Dogs was astonishing. Is it worth watching? Yeah. All right. Okay. I don't well, know. There's, think, see, there's this, there's this movie out there that could have been great, but it was not. And it is also Superman-related. And it is not Supergirl. It is Steel. Aha! I didn't see it. Neither did I. <laughs> <sighs> I knew better. Did she kill the old movie? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't dislike Shaq as a, as a personality. <laughs> I, I, I love the character of John Henry Irons in the comics. It's a fucking awesome character. If anybody deserved to wear that shield, it was him in the comics. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that movie, when you divorce it from Superman, is just an Iron Man ripoff. I mean, that's essentially what it is without the background. Shaq is not an actor. I think we all know this. <laughs> he's also not he's a also not a commentator, shooter. but they put him on camera a lot. In the well, SBA. he's he, he's engaging. He's engaging. He's a nice guy. He's he's funny. I know he loves Superman. He's got the tattoo and everything. But good lord, that movie is bad. And you and you had and you had friggin' Benda from Breakfast Club in it, and he should have been awesome, but he's not awesome. He's just oh god, good I lord. No, I just oh. I don't remember there being an actual Superman reference made in the film. I don't believe there is. I think they make a Batman reference, actually. Because, like, his little brother or nephew says, I can be like your Robin. It's like, right. you're mixing your metaphors, man. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's, 
Yeah, I mean, if you, after you go past Man of Steel and Greenland, and the, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was low budget, and it's like if it's a low budget and it was like direct to video, I'm gonna be more forgiving. Um, because I mean, I'm the asshole that enjoyed the Generation X TV movie. So. <laughs> I like that too. Um, so it's yeah, Steel Steel has got to be up there because it's it's not a good adaptation of what that character is. The Wait, girl in the wheelchair was cute though. You guys are are bagging on uh, the Man of Steel movie. Yeah, you know why? Because it wasn't a Superman movie. See, if you if you take out parts three and four and watch one, two, and Man of Steel, I think that's a great trilogy. Actually, it should be one, two, and Returns. Yeah, that's your trilogy. Sorry, that's what I'm thinking. I'm yeah. sorry. You're right. <laughs> I, I was I was thinking of Superman Returns. Yes. Okay. You're forgiven. Also, it, here's the thing: if you could make a bastard love child between Superman Returns and Man of Steel. It would be like the greatest Superman movie ever. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought Man of Steel had had interesting moments. I love the way they make Krypton look. Yeah, me too. Oh yeah, that stuff on Krypton was great up until Zod <laughs> impales Jor-El. It's like totally unnecessary. See, that movie lost me while they were still on Krypton. I had like four or five make or break moments before they got to Earth with Man of Steel. Mm. I think I think I mean they introduce you to Zod. What's the first thing that happens to Zod? He gets beat up by Jor-El, who is the chief scientist of the world. Right. It's this is this is the villain, and the first thing we see him do is getting beat up by your chief scientist. Now, granted, it's Russell Crowe, and in his contracts, he always beats up somebody. So I, I like Man of Action kind of like, Jor-El, though. But that's still kind of like okay. Here's Green Goblin. What's the first thing we're going to see Green Goblin do? He gets beat up by Uncle Ben. <laughs> right. Uh, I think it's right. a little different. I, well, aren't they, I mean, on Krypton, in most versions, aren't they still, you know, still uh, physically above human, human beings? It uh, depends. Uh, in the Silver Age, they were actually sort of, uh, they were more advanced evolutionary-wise. All right, all right, I got another argument. If he's going to be willing to break Kryptonian law by actually having coitus and having a natural child. He's probably the guy, the kind of guy that's going to go, I'm going to learn how to fight on my own time. Hmm. This Jarrell is like, he's like a Rhodes scholar. He's a, he's, he's a Renaissance man. He's so, Russell Crowe. And he's Russell Crowe. <laughs> and then his son grew up on a farm in the Midwest and worked on oil rigs for the next 30 years. So his son should be exponentially tougher and even more of a threat to General Zod. So it's just you didn't they didn't set up their villain as somebody I took seriously. They neutered him in the first ten minutes. It's also a good point. Hmm. It's a good point. All right. So what other abominations do we want to talk about out there? Well, I'm gonna go back a little ways because you guys are talking about more recent stuff. I'm gonna go all the way back to the 1970s. Huh. <gasps> And this is going to be one that I'm going to get in trouble with from a certain other podcaster, but it's going to be the Kathy Lee Crosby Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman! No, not that no, Wonder Woman. The oh, no, one. The, oh, the Kathy Lee Crosby Yeah, one. because not only did they not get Wonder Woman right, <laughs> they didn't make a satisfying movie. And that was supposed to be a TV pilot, so I have no idea where the hell they were going to go with a TV pilot, but... Yeah, it on all levels. I mean, it's it's good to see once just for, you know, the novelty of it, but even Ricardo Montalban could not save that. Ricardo Montalban. Nobody has ever said that sentence before. 
<laughs> there wasn't enough stuff. rich Corinthian leather. Rich Corinthian leather. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I also, I, my heart breaks over all of these Transformer movies that have come out because they don't capture the spirit of any of it. And yeah, okay, there's a lot of good action and Megan Fox, you know, yeah. wouldn't want to see that, but the movies aren't good. They're just no. not good movies. Are, you, wait, are, are we considering those comic book adaptations? Well, they, Transformers was a Marvel comic for a good long time. Well, but that's yeah. not where the property originated. The problem is Michael Bay. I mean, they're just shit Michael Bay movies. I, I, I mean, on a technical level, they made well. But it's funny, because I was watching The Rock a couple of weeks ago, which he also directed. Mm. But he's not cutting every half second. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous how much he went from zero to fuck you in like ten years. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, I liked the first one, and I actually kind of liked the last one because there was just less plot. It was more smashy smashy, which you know, I transform this movie. I kind of expect that, but uh, yeah, those yeah, they're not they're not great adaptations either. I think the first one you can sort of feel Steven Spielberg's influence yes. as a producer because it's a little bit more it. It approaches the charm and the heart of E.T., not comparing the two. I Never totally do that. agree. But you can sort of see what the movie is aspiring towards. And Shia LaBeouf's weird sort of social dysfunction is a little bit endearing in smaller doses. Um, in, in the sequels that come after it, you realize, okay, he's just on a lot of coke. But... <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Megan Fox. I think that was part of her contract. Yeah, I'm sure, but... Um, but yeah, I I would I would defend the first Transformers not as a good necessarily adaptation of the property, and certainly not if you were a lover of the comics and the cartoons of the '80s. It's it's not the same animal. But as a movie on its own, it's not awful. It's not it, it has really good moments. The the sequels I I didn't even see the fourth one, but I thought they got progressively better or progressively worse. I the fourth one's fun. Stupid, <laughs> but fun. Okay, so 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 going using that uh, as a jumping off point, stu- stupid but fun. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean good. Like my one of my like least favorite. I, I loved it when I was a kid. Going back to it and watching it again now as an adult, I realized how shittily made it was. Nineteen uh, eighties Flash Gordon. Oh, come on. That was such a piece of shit movie. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's a great and movie. And the call. And the call. <laughs> Especially if you go into it thinking, this is a movie, full-length movie version of the 1930s serials. Because that's exactly what it is. You watch some of those serials, then you watch that movie, and it's like shot for shot. To the Even to the, the, the ship design. Got the pointy end, looks like it's on wires. <laughs> That, 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 okay, that, I guess that makes sense in a in a retro kind of homage kind of thing. But if you're talking about like a science fiction movie, I mean, it's post Star Wars. It should look like it, right? I mean, why do you want to why do you want something from 50 years later to look like it was made in the 30s? What well, Star Wars was aping that original Flash Gordon, so it's I mean, okay. It's, but it still looked better. It didn't it. it it's not supposed to look exactly like Star Wars. No, I'm not, it's a totally it's different like, tone. It's at least it's supposed to make it look like it was made in 1980, if not the future, since it's set in the future. But it's retro future. It's not <laughs> set in the future. It's set in 1980. 
Unless you think those cars that they are they're in at the airport look futuristic. All right, you're right. Uh, I don't know. I, that's I, that to me is not a movie that you can sit there and hate. It's like I'm, I'm pretty forgiving if something is 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 just trying to entertain me for two hours. And a uh, quick aside, back to Transformers. Yeah. The series aired in the fall of 1984, but the first Marvel comic came out in May 8 on May 8, 1984. Okay. Okay, but it was it was designed specifically to promote the toys which existed first. Yes, so. but correct. The, but to, to be fair, Ryan, the toys were Japanese imports from two different toy lines that they just kind of mashed together to make this story. So. I mean, really, you could say the same thing about G.I. Joe. Well, yeah, then I would open up the floodgates and say the two G.I. Joe movies, which are very different types of movies from each other and equally bad. Oh. <laughs> oh. We're not talking about the cartoon ones, right? No, oh, the live action. Yeah. The Rise of Cobra and whatever the hell the other one was. Yeah, it's no, it's no good. It's no good. What? No mas. The first one was basically like, hey, let's throw the ridiculousness of the cartoon on screen. And the second one was like, all right, let's try to work in some more stuff from the comics. I, I can't hate either of those. I was entertained by both of them. I, saw I, I didn't them. say I hated them. I just said that I've only watched them once. Once. <sighs> Thank you, Joe Piscopo. <laughs> once. <laughs> all right, so to wrap up this discussion, worst movie adaptation of a comic property. Ryan, what is your opinion? Um... On a on an emotional level, I would lean towards Man of Steel, but on purely objective level as the worst film, I would say Green Lantern. Fair enough. Theatrical release, I'm sticking with Steel. Yeah, that's a tough one. Hmm. Gene? I'm, it wasn't a theatrical release, but it was a TV movie, and that would be the Kathleen Crosby Wonder Woman. <laughs> How about you, Sean? Uh, I, I gotta go with Superman Quest for Peace. Just top to bottom garbage. <laughs> Can't really argue with you. <laughs> it's yeah. it's bad, but it's still soup, man. Uh, and still I gotta Reeve. go. I gotta go with the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie that came out. Uh, maybe because it's so fresh in my mind and the dagger is still in my heart. But man, that was awful, awful yeah. all the way around. Yeah, it was. All right. And speaking of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more about TMNT. Joe against Cobra and Destro, fighting to save the day. He never gives up, he's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe is there! Attention, Joes, this is General Hawk. I have an important mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to gijoe.headspeaks.com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google+, and Twitter. All under G.I. Joe, 
a real American head cast. Dismissed. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, a real American head cast, is a proud member of the head cast family. The world never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. All right, we're back, and now we have our main event, and that would be the comic book version of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the Thundercats. Take it away, oh. hero. <laughs> All right, the Thundercats. They are a group of refugee furries from the planet Thundera. <laughs> Who are initially naked. <laughs> yes, which, much like Krypton, goes tits up. Uh, the refugees from the Doom Planet are put into suspended animation as they travel to a planet that is known as Third Earth, where the evil mutant enemies of the Thunderans track them. Um, and uh, a lot of the action takes place there. All of it does, actually, because they're, they're crashed. They can't fucking go anywhere uh, initially. And uh, our main cats are Lionel, the leader, who is mentally only a child, but a malfunction in his stasis capsule forces his body to mature. So, you got a little bit of a uh, Billy Batson deal going on there. He wields the Sword of Omens, which gives him sight beyond sight. And it uh, contains the Eye of Thundera, the source of the uh, Thundercat's power. Tigra is the architect and scientist and right-hand man to Lion-O, who rocks this ill uh, bola whip. And he has uh, limited invisibility powers. Panthro the blackest brother in the universe, a great <laughs> warrior, and the mechanic of the group. Yes, he is B.A. Baracus with nunchucks. Uh, Chitara, the gash of the group. She's super fast and level-headed. What's that? Gash. Gash, yish. Uh, Chitara, uh, super fast, level-headed, and she has a sixth sense for danger and can sense otherworldly visions. And she uses a uh, bow staff that, you know, magically changes length. There's also these two little fucks and an annoying thing to pal around with them for most of the time. Snarf! Um, we won't talk about them. Well, the Battle for Thundera explodes on Third Earth, where they've crash-landed. And uh, with the mutants tracking them to this planet and uh, the activity that the Thundercats have loosed, there is a great demon named Mumra that lives on Third Earth. And uh, Mumra recruits the mutants to fight the uh, Thundercats so that uh, Mumra can keep his hold on Third Earth. But we know that the Thundercats will always win because it's 80s cartoon awesomeness. And they have to have a moral at the end. Absolutely. Right. It's Rankin Bass, man. Does the Sword of Omens actually do anything besides Sight Beyond Sight? Does it need to do it? It, it, it extends. It grows I when extend. you rub it. It grows. It you, cuts you, things. You, it usually grows when Chitara is around for some reason. Oh, oh my. <laughs> But it doesn't have any other powers besides that. It does. It it shoots bolts. It shoots laser bolts. It is a Deus Ex Machina tool. Right. It it basically has the power of the weak, depending on what they need it for. You know. Ah, I understand. Okay. Is that everything as far as Thundercats is concerned? Yeah, they're all good fighters. They all have their abilities. All right. And there's four of them to go up against four turtles. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about Eastman and Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, it's an American comic book published on and off by Mirage Studios since 1984. Originally conceived by e Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird as an uh, as a one-off parody, the comic's popularity has gone to gone on to inspire a major pop culture franchise, including 
a television series, feature films, numerous video games, and a wide range of toys and merchandise. The concept originated from an evening of casual brainstorming, and uh, the story that I heard it's not published here is uh, that they were drinking at a bar and they drew this on a napkin because they thought it was hysterical, where Kevin Eastman drew a picture of a turtle with nunchuck with nunchucks strapped to his arms. Peter Laird thought a slow turtle as a ninja was very funny. Eventually, they created a team of four turtles, each specializing in different weapons. Then, using a tax refund and a loan from Eastman's uncle, they formed Mirage Studios and published a single-issue comic book that would parody Daredevil, Cerebus, Ronin, and X-Men The New Mutants. The traffic accident and truck carrying radioactive waste that caused the turtle's mutation was an allusion to Daredevil's origin. The name Splinter is a parody of Daredevil's master stick. Also, the foot is a parody of the ninja clan in Daredevil called The Hand. Also in the comic book series, rather than having unique mask colors and bandanas, uh, all of their bandanas were red in the comics. The comic is a much darker and grittier version of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, featuring swearing, bloodshed, and blood splatter, alcohol consumption, killings, ritualistic suicide, and other themes that were not meant for young readers. Okay, let's talk about the turtles for a minute. Although they have a humanoid shape, the turtles have remained in their turtle state. Their me this means that they have large shells that protects them uh, from damage. Each of the turtles are extremely durable and can take some serious damage. They've provided, uh, survived explosions, buildings being dropped on them, being stabbed, super-powered punches, lightning bolts, laser shots, and even an intense cosmic blast. The turtles have also been trained in the art of ninjutsu and are experts in hand-to-hand -hand combat and in using many different kinds of weapons. The turtles have each adopted a weapon of choice. Leonardo use a pair, uh, uses a pair of katanas, Raphael a pair of size, Michelangelo a pair of nunchucks, and Donatello wields the bow staff. Each turtle possesses enhanced mutant strength thanks to the mutagen that mutated them. This explains why they're able to fight off and overpower beings ten times their own size, such as a being able to knock out, such as being able to knock out a triceraton yeah. with simple jump kicks. Yeah, that was a great, that was a great uh, comic, uh, as well as various other monsters, aliens, and giant creatures. It's obvious that the turtles aren't on any human level. Each of them are on an almost superhuman level of strength. According to the role-playing game Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, which came out prior to the first television show, Raphael should be able to easily deadlift 1,200 pounds. Uh, the 15 years of intense ninja training combined with their mutant powers makes each of them uh, stronger, faster, and much more skilled than normal humans. And as the years go by, they become more and more skilled in all forms of martial arts. The end. This is a tough one. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that. Oh, well, then why don't you stat? Okay. Yeah, Ryan seems like he's got an opinion. Really? Ryan hasn't said anything. I do actually have an opinion. <laughs> well, why don't you oh, go I'm first? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think this is simple. Um, they're teenagers. Chitara walks in the room. <laughs> Their ninja discipline goes out the window. Son of a bitch, and... stealing all my gas. <laughs> Well, then you can finish. <laughs> no, no, continue. He's already finished. He's working on the third batch. Uh, no, that. Uh, yeah, I think. It, well, see, I gotta, I gotta tell a story here, and it applies to the uh, the transitive property that you guys so often quote. 
Um, I had a, a hardcover copy of the Ultimate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles collection or something that covered like their first couple comics. And I loved the book, and my dog ate it when we first got her. Uh, she destroyed this comic, this like hardcover-bound collection of these books, and a normal cat could beat the crap out of my dog. <laughs> so by the transitive property by that transitive property a thundercat ought to be able to destroy these these ninja turtles from the comics i think that's the most well put thought ever spoken on this podcast kind of hard to follow that one isn't it it, it, it yeah shit <laughs> wow this one this one might come down to who has the best vehicles <laughs> no uh, well, I, I don't know i don't know oh, I can also use the transitive property. Uh-oh. Who are the enemies that the Thundercats fight? Right. Mutants. They're mutants, right? They, if they can beat all those mutant animals, I don't think the turtles will be a problem. There's not a single mutant turtle on Third Earth. No, there is not. They're mutant jackals and, like, monkeys and, like, frogs and stuff. But no turtles. There's no turtles. Ooh, this is... Ooh. Uh, on, the, on the scale of predators, though... I think Jackal goes above the turtle. Now, right. look, just because Mumra has a taste for turtle soup doesn't enter into this argument. <laughs> we don't even need to bring Mumra into this. We're, we're talking the we're talking the four cats versus the four turtles. Right. So my 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 feeling here is this: is if you go on just raw strength, the turtles, each turtle, an individual turtle, teenage mutant ninja turtle, hereafter called a turtle is physically stronger. So any individual turtle is physically stronger than any of the individual Thundercats. Even Panthro can't lift as much as one of the single turtles can. Not all the turtles have the armored shell, so each one of the Thundercats, I mean, shit, they were naked for most of the first episode, and then they've got these scrawny costumes on. They don't have any type of an armor like the turtles do, and then I feel that the advanced martial arts training that the turtles have is greater than any martial arts training that the Thundercats have. So on all three categories, better defense, better training, <sighs> martial arts stronger. training that was given to them by a rat. That's correct. You're not <laughs> downing Master Splinter, are you? Not <laughs> rat. The Thundercats have some of them have powers. What powers? Okay, well, Chitara can run very quickly. Yeah, she, yeah, so... It, yeah, but she's it, also a woman. I wouldn't <laughs> So she her. might fall. <laughs> no. She, she, come on, she never makes a mistake on that show. She whoops, she whoops some ass. Come on, that's going to be an f- awesome fight between her and Donnie with the bow staffs. That would be interesting, yes. And then you got Leonardo versus Lionel with the swords. And, and then you got, obviously, you got Mikey versus Panthro. And Panthro's going to be like, I've had enough of your dumb jokes, and just be like, wah, 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 wah. Come on. Well, I, what I think it comes down to, though, is tactics. And if you look at the examples, you have the Turtles, who in the comics, remember we're talking about the comics here, were always shown as very well-trained, very cohesive unit. Mm-hmm. The Thundercats always took a half an hour to get their act together. It's they, true. It, they, it was, they were always at, at cross-purposes. It took... Lionel calling Chitara for and the eyes to light up for them to actually get together and do what he said in the first place. So I would think that that part of it would 
hinder the Thundercats and the Turtles' ninja training, advanced strength, advanced durability, like Jif said, would just overwhelm them before they could even mount a defense. And if we use, I don't know who just said it, but if you've got Donatello versus Chitara, and you've got uh, Leonardo versus Lionel, he's a puss. Uh, and oh. you've got, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> he's a, but he's also a teenager. Come on. He's also, and you've got, you've got uh, Mikey versus Panthro, and then, what is it, uh, Tigra? Tigra yep. versus, versus uh, Raph. Versus Raph. Well, Raph is going to wipe the floor with Tigra. But he can go invisible. It doesn't matter. Raph will just beat the, wait the floor with him. Raphael then, has the blind fighting skill, so he's fine. Yeah, right, right. He, he spent a feet on that. <laughs> um, and then uh, I think, I, I truly believe that uh, Leonardo is going to wipe the floor with Lionel, but he might last a little bit longer than Ty, uh, uh, Tigra did. I might give you that Panthro could beat Mikey. But by Mike, then... Mikey is the baby. It's now four on two. And I think that the Donatello versus Chitara would be a stalemate because Chitara would have to constantly be, uh, you know, doing, you know, run-by attacks versus drive-by attacks, I guess. And Donatello would just have to go full defensive, to use another D&D Pathfinder term, until the other matches flush out. And, you know, I'm willing to say that it might end up being, you know, you know, all four Thundercats go down, and only two of the Turtles are left standing, but you're still going to have the Turtles eventually be victorious. Are, are you uh, are you saying that it's a battle of... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I lost the words. I'm looking for the... Endurance. I know, it was it's such it's... a clever way that I described it all that you can't... Uh, <laughs> no, you, it, are, are you saying it's a battle of endurance, that the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will just last longer? What I'm saying is... Oh, here's what I'm saying is... I believe that the turtles have better training and skills than each of their uh, each of the Thundercats. However, okay. let's say that that is equal. I do not believe it to be equal. I believe that the turtles have better uh, have individual better skills than the, the Thundercats do. I am goddamn sure that the turtles are physically stronger and have a much higher resistance defense because of the shells, uh, you know, and being fucking turtles than the Thundercats do. So even if it's not in a matter of endurance, like, okay, how would this battle run out? Just like the Star Destroyer versus Enterprise fight, if we're just talking about the schematics, this this versus that, uh, the Turtles are greater than the Thundercats. Well, except for the cats have nine lives. Oh! I was never... Was, I was, was that ever in the show anywhere? Or in a uh, comic? I, I just thought that was a well-known mythology. Snap! Oh, I, the Thundercats fight bad guys that use magic, and they win. And they also have some enchanted weaponry. Yeah, yeah. Which the sometimes don't they need can't that. use properly. The turtles are superior than the magic weaponry. If okay, if this was an episode of Thundercats, the turtles would be one-off villains. <laughs> but it's not. <sighs> Stop using facts. <laughs> I know you want the Thundercats to win, but uh, my no, own... I really want the Ninja Turtles. But somebody has to be devil's advocate. Come on. I mean, as I mean, I feel like I've kind of dominated this conversation. I'm going to step aside and let somebody else jump in. All right. Well, I've made two points that I think logically work in favor of the Thundercats. The first one is my transitive pop <laughs> property analogy. Fair um, enough. 
the second one is the fact that they are teenagers. They should be easily distracted by boobs. So Chitara, you know, waving her, you know, fanny in front of them, they they just drop their weapons. But and so does Lion. Ends up with Tigra. My final point actually refutes all of those arguments. While everybody is fighting, Raphael is going to go and find the two kids, Wily Cat and Wily Kit. And he's going to stab one of them through the fucking hand. Good. <laughs> and and the Thundercats are going to drop their weapons. And that's going to be it. That's all, that's all he has to do. They're, they're just going to give up. They're going to they're gonna surrender. Don't kill the kids. Play nice. And the Ninja Turtles from the comics aren't in the same moral, immoral, like... like well, the, the Ninja Turtles they're... in the comics might kill them all anyway. Yeah, right. seriously. So I think that's all it takes. Just threaten the two little kids and... So... The Thundercats from the 80s cartoons aren't used to that type of... That type. So re- regardless of how it shakes out, Snarf's getting eaten at the end of it. I think so. One oh, can only hope. Sexually? No. <laughs> like, you know, roasted over a spit. Donatello's going to turn Snarf into like a Mechagodzilla-looking thing. Oh, I love that visual. So Snarf's going to become one of the Robear Burbles? Yes. Yes. Or like yes. the... The rats that keep attacking. That's how the Robears show up. The Mecha Rats versus Snarf. (laughs) Nice. The Robears actually kill other creatures and use their fur to create new Robears. This is an Ewoks eat people argument, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Ewoks do eat people. Yeah. Yeah, They sure do. And then we have an army of mousers. And what we do is we... Donatello takes the Thunder Tank and... Paints a shell on it. <laughs> Done. Now who's on the loose? <laughs> Still the Thunder Kids. All right. Does anybody else have anything to, to comment on this? Because I think we're ready to vote. I think we take our final votes. Did anyone online vote for the Thundercats over the Turtles? Uh, yes. Where was it? Uh, someone, someone voted for them based on the magical weaponry. Oh, uh, booyah! Where is it? Uh, we had, well, Dale Russell voted for the Turtles for all the reasons you said, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, where am I? <laughs> uh, yeah, Andy Capellish uh, said that the Thundercats are magic, TMT are science, and science fantasy wins in that battle. Talk to Superman. <laughs> so that that's basically it. And no one else really chimed in on that particular one uh oh no wait al sedano said that he wants the turtles because it would be like the comic spidey versus the 1960s animated series spidey (laughs) (laughs) which is a a pretty good way to to wrap that up i think yeah fair enough all right so it's obvious that my vote is for the turtles right uh let's go around the table who wants to go first thundercats ho okay so he, so Hero votes for Chitara. Actually, I wait until uh, till Wily Kit grows up. <laughs> At least you're waiting till she grows up, right, Sean? <laughs> you guys, you brought it on yourself, my friend. <laughs> All right, Sean, Sean, who do you vote for? You tell one joke. Uh, I don't know. I, I, they're both to me. They're both equally equally lame. Uh, <sighs> I, I, that's gonna that's gonna put you back in the penalty box. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I could seriously care less. I, I guess uh, we'll go with the turtles because they're ninjas and ninjas. Yay! All right. <sighs> that should be our stinger. Ninjas. <laughs> ninjas. Yay! <laughs> Ryan, what do you say? 
Um, ultimately, I think it comes down to Ninja Turtles winning, but I think the Thundercats animated series theme song beats all six of the contestants that we've had tonight. <laughs> I, I can't argue with that. Yes. Thundercats! And I am also going to vote for the Turtles. So we have a win of four to one for the Turtles. And that's only because Hero is playing Devil's Advocate and really wanted to vote for the Turtles. No, I think I think Hero has lost his touch. I, I've got the touch. You've got, got, the, got power? the power? Fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> nice. All I right, go. well, let's put Before that one go. in the record book. And... Before we go. Yes? Yeah. It must be really exotic when the uh, Thundercats shave down there. <laughs> Just saying. I ain't lost nothing. Uh, all right. Well, I want to thank all you guys for being on the show. Why don't we go around the table and remind everyone where they can go to either hear or see your works. So uh, why don't we go in reverse order this time, and we'll start with Sean. Uh, you can check out um, one of my short films, uh, Some Kind of Ladies Man, and a trailer for another film short, Called Spit Boys. Both are on YouTube. All right, and Ryan, Secret Origins podcast, Dead Bath and Spies, a Star Wars podcast, Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast, all available on iTunes. And I, I should point out one you're missing. You are part of GI Joe Real American Headcast. That's right, I am. Which has just recently started and is very good. I, I listened to all the shows these guys are on, so. Thank you, yes. I am a, a regular guest host on that G.I. Joe Real American Headcast, hosted by Aaron Moss and also Kyle Benning. I need to be downloading that. Yes, you yeah. do. I just started reading G.I. Joe comic from issue one last week. Well, then you nice. really need to listen to that podcast because they're going through the comic issue by issue. Oh, I need to be a guest on that podcast. <laughs> just saying. All right, Hero, how about you? Uh, like I said, outside the fucking McDonald's or the Curves. Um, They're next but, to each uh, other, aren't they? What's it? They're next to each other, aren't they? Or is, yeah. or is that the Curves next to the, the Baskin Robbins? It, it doesn't. Every day I go to Baskin Robbins and get myself a little treat. Um, <laughs> His uh, name is Chris. I'm on the vault of, what's it? His name is Chris. Mm-hmm. That's my a name. little treat. My little candy kiss. <laughs> I, I'm white chocolate, though. I am on the vault of Stattling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which you can find on 2TrueFreaks.com or through iTunes. If you go to 2TrueFreaks2, you can find it. And I'm all over the Facebook and I guest on shows all the time. And I'm on Comic Book Fight Club. Yay! Blah, 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 blah. I need your praise. Oh, okay. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, We have absolutely no idea what we're doing next time, so if any of you have an idea for matchups, go to the Facebook page, which would be, if I can pull it up here really quick, and I'm vamping for time, it is facebook.com slash, all one word, comic book fight club. Give us your suggestions. We're always happy to uh, take a look at what you have to say, and if it's really exceptional, we'll put it on the show. And you should be listening to the Quantum Cast as well. Of course. I mean, that's oh, our other show. That that one, it's a little more toned down than this, but yeah. I mean, where else are you? Oh, gonna... you guys do the Quantum Cast? Oh, I, I know it's show. I know it's a shock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where else on Two True Freaks are you going to find out uh, about a character who uses jewelry to create objects out of light? <clears throat> Just one of the guys. 
Which is over. <laughs> we have taken over. <laughs> Way to outlast. That's great. <laughs> That's. Oy. All right, I got nothing. Let's end this. Pick. <laughs> All right. Recommendation for next time. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Doom versus Lex Luthor. Boring. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. On and on that bombshell, we'll see you next time. <laughs> Oh, oh, poor guy. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.